0: Happy New Year. This is Drew from Love the Nerd back with you for another Bible thump. And um, what I want to do uh, is encourage you from the Bible. And that may seem a little strange given what I'm about to read, but I'm just going to read it. And then I think we really will find some encouragement there. All right? So trust me, we'll find some encouragement. But remember, Paul is just in Romans 2. Um, he is just sort of challenge this church to live faithfully in accordance with who they claim to be in Christ like who God has called them to be he says start embodying that live that out like he's really he's saying to this church in Rome like listen i want you to start being like Jesus in Rome that's really, I think, ultimately what this book and really every book of the New Testament is about. It's it's calling, it's it's God raising up prophets, um, apostles, uh, teachers that wrote these books to call God's people to say, "Hey, follow Jesus in the place God's put you." So that's what we're gonna. What I'm gonna try to do is encourage you to follow Jesus in the place God's put you, um, and and we're gonna read about how the Apostle Paul challenged. The churches in Rome, to follow Jesus in the place God put them, makes sense. Um, and in the process, there are some things He needed them to know about um, God's justice, God's judgment, and um, and the law, and our place and our place before God. So, as we think about what it means to follow Jesus in the place God has put us. We need to acknowledge something about about the state of our hearts and our brokenness before God. We're going to be challenged to do that, and it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable, but ultimately it's going to be good because the more we understand um, the state of our hearts and our brokenness and the ways in which we're broken, the more we'll be uh, prepared, the more we'll cultivate a posture of embracing the redemption of Jesus, of inviting Jesus is redeeming work to come to bear in our hearts and then that will trickle out into the world in which we live and we'll see we'll see God move all right so Romans 3 starting in verse 1 remember Paul's just kind of called this church to be consistent to stop being hypocritical but to like live up to the potential of their calling all right so that said Paul says this in Romans 3, verse 1. So what advantage does the Jew have? Or what benefit is circumcision? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Considerable in every way. First, they were entrusted with the very words of God. What then, if some were unfaithful, will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Absolutely not. Let God be true, even though everyone is a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and triumph when you judge. But if our unrighteousness highlights God's righteousness, what are we to say? I'm using a human argument. Is God unrighteous to inflict wrath? Absolutely not. Otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if by my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, just as some of, some people have slanderously claim, we, we say, let us do what is evil so good may come. Their condemnation is deserved. So you see what Paul's doing there is he's saying, there's people that have claimed because we preach grace, because we preach that... That God loves people even in their sin; that we should just live however we want. And Paul says, "People who say that deserve condemnation because that's not the way of Jesus. That's not um, the way of Jesus. Is one that makes a difference in the world. It is one to, to follow Jesus is to embody something of His value system, uh, to invite the work of God into our worlds for His glory and for the good of the people around us." Um, all right, so um let's let's read some more. All right, verse nine. What then are we any better off? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin, as it is written, "There's no one righteous, not even one." There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive uh, with their tongues. Vipers' venom is under their lips, their mouth is full of cursing, and their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law, so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. All right, so Paul's going to say some really encouraging words right after this that we're not going to get to today, <laughs> all right? Um, but I want to set it up for next week um, when, I, when I tackle that. And I want to say uh, what Paul is saying here is kind of depressing, but it's ultimately really important for us to understand. Um, no one is righteous. No, not one. Paul's saying no one has a leg to stand on before God based on their own merit based on their own effort, based on their own track record. If we look at all of our track record, uh, here's the reality that we we, we sort of have to um, grapple with when we read Romans, and really when we read lots of parts of the Bible, is that the world is not a safe and good place. Which is startling, because when you read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, it really is. A beautiful and safe and good place, but it's not now like in the West, maybe sometimes we feel like we do like in in America, especially like because we live such sheltered lives and we have insurance and and uh running water and um like a a a more i don't say more robust but like a more nuanced understanding of justice today than we did even, like, 50 years ago in this country, right? Like, um, think about how social media has changed how we think about something like social justice. So, um, like, it, it would be easier for us to think that we're, like, on the right path, that we're on the right trajectory, that we're headed towards um, a more just, more ideal world where people are, are, are better morally. Um, but... If we stop and think, like, it's still really a broken world. Um, Think about the ways in which, like, you just think about your relationship with your parents, maybe. The ways in which you wish, like, just be honest, the ways in which you wish you were raised differently, the weaknesses. And the ways your parents raised you. I'm sure there are beautiful, awesome ways your parents raised you too. But if you just think about those weaknesses and then think about how you are now. How many of those things that you see in your parents do you find yourself struggling with too? Like the things you wish they had done differently, like you're still in it. You still, those things have affected you. So if you just think about like the ways we hurt the people closest to us. Um, so that's talking about on a personal level, but if you think about it on a global level, think about things like human trafficking, think about things like uh, like war, think about things like genocide. Those are all still a very big part of the world we live in. Um, it's a scary, difficult world, and the reality of it being broken is all around us. Like People are being awful towards each other all around, and so that's why... Uh, Paul, quoting the Old Testament here, quoting Isaiah, says, Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. So think about, um, he says, the path of peace they have not known. Like we, This is our world. We don't live in a peaceful world. We don't live in a world where people are good to each other. Um, and and what he's saying is um, the ways we speak, just like if you've slandered someone, if you've said something that's not true about someone, if you've said something hurtful to someone, Paul's saying in this passage, you are part of the reality of us living in a very broken, shattered world. A world that does not reflect God's beauty and goodness and grace the way that it was designed to. Um, We don't live in a world of shalom. We live in a world of brokenness. And Paul wants us to know, wants you and me to know, that the wrath of God is revealed against that. Um, God's not happy. God is going to do something about that. All of that is subject to God's judgment, and there's a par- big part of us that hears that and just goes, "Whew! I don't like that." So that that's one response. It's like, "Oh my gosh, I don't like that. That doesn't that scares me." Then there's another response that says, I don't – there's one response is I don't like that. That scares me. The other response is, I don't like that, so I'm going to assume it's not true. That's not a safe place to land because um, I don't want to live in a world where God looks at all this injustice and just says, well, yeah, sorry. I want to live in a world where God sees that injustice and goes – not on my watch. Not while I'm around. I want to live in a world where God sees that kind of injustice and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something about this. And fixing injustice sometimes involves some... Sometimes it means getting a little bit upset. That's why Jesus flipped over the tables in the temple, drove out the money changers, because they were oppressing... The poor, and Jesus goes into the temple and flips those tables over because he says, "Not on my watch." So while this passage is hard for us to stomach, it's also a passage that says God's not going to sit idly by and just watch our world go to pot. He's going to step in. He's going to do something about it. He's going to step in and do something about our lives individually, and step in and do something about this world that this world that we live in as a whole he's going to redeem it and that means doing something about what's broken and what's shattered and part of what's broken and shattered is due to our selfishness and the good news of the gospel is that God doesn't just sit by and let us keep being hypocrites we don't get to just keep on like saying that we love Jesus and walk and and, and follow after him but then live like completely selfish self-absorbed like no care for our neighbor, no care for those in need, no care for those who are hurting. We don't get to keep doing that because when we um, follow Jesus, he steps in and says, follow me. Like, embody my perspective, embody my values. Live with my radical love for the world. Express that radical love in your friendships, in your relationships, in your family, to everyone around you. And that's a good and beautiful invitation isn't it? So I hope that even though this passage is hard, you sense, you get a sense of why it's good news. God's going to do something about what's broken with the world and he's going to do something about what's broken with us. He's going to make things new. He's going to um, bring justice to the oppressed. He's going to make things right. And to to be a part of of, and by the way, you're invited to be a part of God's plan of redemption and restoration in the world. But to be a part of it, we too have to acknowledge that. We can't just keep sitting by and calling things that, calling all the broken around us, fine, it's not fine. And God's not fine with it, and no, we shouldn't be either. We should be people invite him to work more on our hearts so that we can be a part of, the good work he's doing to bring restoration and justice to the world we'll talk about more about what that looks like next week thanks for your time